Go ahead and have a seat if you would, and children, you can be dismissed to your classes um, right now. As our kids walk out, let's uh, take a minute to, to pray for them, and feel free to continue doing if you're doing busy work. God can still hear if your eyes are open and you're moving, I promise. God, I thank you so much for this morning, and I pray for our children as they go back to hear from you. Pray for their teachers as they have prepared the gospel to, to speak into these children's lives, Father. I pray that as they study sin and creation, Father, that you would show them that you have provided an answer for that, Father, and it's your son, Jesus, God. God, I pray for us as we engage the hope that you've given us this morning, Father, that you would connect our hearts with the beauty of your gospel. We love you and we thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen. So uh, Dave kind of mentioned it during the call to worship, but I'm really excited about uh, the message that I get to preach this morning. We're in Acts chapter 1. We'll start in verse 4 in just a second. But I want to I've said that, like I say this all the time when, we're, when I'm teaching through a familiar verse, is to lay down familiarity with a verse. Um, and I really try to engage and encourage you guys to, to like, lay, I'm familiar with this verse, so I think I know what it means, and so I, did, I, want, I want us all to lay that down. For me, this week, that spoke, that rung incredibly true to me, because this is a series of verses that I've read lots and lots and lots of times, and there's something very profound and fundamental and simple about this verse that I've never, ever seen before. Uh, and I'm really excited because I get to share that with you because I think that chances are we've all not seen this portion of this verse before. So uh, let's read Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8 this morning. Uh, give you a little, little backdrop here. Jesus has died and resurrected and he's been hanging out with his disciples for a few weeks at this point. Um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 days. All right? Uh, don't know exactly. Somewhere in the neighborhood. So maybe 38, 39, 40. He came back with the disciples for about 40 days. But we don't know if this is day 38, 39, 40, whatever. He's about to ascend, however. So here's the deal. Uh, verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, and here's the familiar verse that like, I saw for the first time, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit many days from now. We'll talk about that in just a second. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They don't have any freaking clue what's going on here. Will you make us powerful again? Will you make us strong? Will you give us authority on this earth? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's a really familiar verse as well. It's probably, you've probably seen it like on banners at churches before. Acts 1.8. The Acts 1.8 challenge. Um, another, some, another thing that God kind of brought to me is, is some stuff in this verse. So let's, let's examine what's here. Um, first, the first thing that I want to look at is you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this is the, the new thing that I found. I'm, 
like, my countenance is getting excited because I'm about to tell you what God laid upon me for the, like, I saw that, I've read that verse hundreds, literally hundreds of times and saw this for the first time. You will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. In my mind, I was always trying to connect with what that meant. Like, there was, like, I was baptized when I was, like, eight years old and I went down in the water and then that was it. I didn't get baptized anymore, right? And so that's what, this was to me. You're baptized once for the Holy Spirit, now you've got the Holy Spirit. That's not what is being connected here. Jesus is using baptism as a metaphor. Okay? I want you to know that. What Jesus is telling his disciples and what Jesus is telling us by persevering this word thousands of years later is that we, baptism is a metaphor for what the Holy Spirit is for us. Okay? And this is like... Dave has done a great job writing this literature and, and, and giving us direction for this. But, but this is something that I think we're all completely aware of, like the Holy Spirit is and who he is or whatever. But I, I want to shake our minds and rattle us this morning and, and understand that we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let's examine what this word means. Um, baptize is a Greek word, baptizo, which literally just simply means to immerse. All right? So you are immersed in the Holy Spirit. And it's not just like you were baptized with water once and you were wet for a time and then you put on dry clothes and you were no longer wet. You were no longer immersed. You're down into the water, immersed for half a second and then brought back up, right? That's, that's, the, that's the practical step of baptism. But the metaphor that Christ is teaching us here is we were baptized by the Holy Spirit and John Gill, an uh, old pastor from the 1800s, says this. He's, he's written a, a beautiful commentary about this verse. He says, An extraordinary and plentiful donation of the gifts of the Spirit, as may be expressed by baptism. So in other words, here are, here's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk in a minute about what the Holy Spirit actually is. But here's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the metaphor that Christ is using is baptism, so that we are completely immersed all the time. You give yourself to Christ, there's never a time when you are not baptized, immersed in the Holy Spirit. And this is, this like, blows my brain, because I know the sin that's in my heart. I know the sin that's been in my heart this week. In the midst of that, I'm baptized by the Holy Spirit. And this is the, the, this is the deal. We need to be aware of this. It's a fact whether you realize it or not. But realizing our baptism with the Holy Spirit. Imagine, picture, we've done baptisms right here. We put the little Lego thing together and, and we make the, the, the baptismal up here and and suddenly next week it's gone. Where did that go? We've, we've baptized. You guys have witnessed it before, right? So what I want you to picture is, is someone going down under the water. And imagine that person under the water in a baptism. The metaphor is that's the Holy Spirit in you. Always. Now. When you're sitting at the table at lunch this afternoon. When you go to work tomorrow morning, when you lay your head down on the pillow to go to sleep, you are that kind of baptized, only not water, it's the Holy Spirit. 
Seriously. That's, that's huge and, and just blows my mind. And it's something I've never, ever seen before. John Gill keeps on. Baptized by the Holy Spirit is encompassed by water on every side so that they are wholly baptized by the Spirit. For those of you who are like writing stuff down, here's something you might want to write down. There will never be a time where I'm not completely encompassed with the Holy Spirit. Like that's got to change everything. That's got to change, and we'll get to this at the very end. That's got to change what you feel like you're prepared to attempt. Um, there's a guy, three very distinct situations in my life. Um, one happened uh, at First Baptist Church of Ferguson where I grew up and was on staff for a while. Um, a former pastor of theirs, uh, after Sunday night service, a guy named Fred Fischel, Everybody's kind of, you know, Sunday night service, if you guys ever been to those, they're like kind of family at home, and like there was maybe 10 people left in the auditorium at this point, and, and Fred comes up to me and he says, you know, someday you ought, to, you ought to preach a sermon to us. I was like 22 and clueless. <laughs> that was my response. And sometimes you, you giggle like that, thinking there's some sort of like truth to what they're saying. There was none of that. I was completely like, there's no way. That's ridiculous. But then, like, I'm laying my head down that night. I'm thinking about, wow, maybe there is something to that. I had a seminary professor named Keith Snyder. Uh, and he, I was in seminary, I was completely intimidated by the others that were in my class. Because there was a lot of brilliant people in my class, and I'm not very sharp. And, seriously, Kelly's rolling her eyes at me, but it's the, it's the truth. It's the truth. And so I'm really intimidated by the guys that are around me. And I, I wrote, it's a personal spiritual disciplines class where they're teaching us to discipline ourselves spiritually, to read your Bible, to study the Bible, and to, to just inject scripture and spiritual things into you. This is the class. And I'm fully intimidated because I know my own spiritual life. And I, and I perceive those that are around me, their spiritual life. I wrote my final paper, and Keith Snyder, a guy who I deeply respect, uh, writes on my paper, God is going to use you for great things. And my response to that is, whatever. God is going to use that guy and that guy and that guy in my classroom for great things. They're going to lead massive churches and, and change entire communities for the Lord. I'm going to teach a Sunday school class. But the, the beautiful part is what resides in you. Look, look at me, seriously. What resides in you is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Anything that is in your brain that you think you might, like, do not dismiss it. Do not dismiss the Fred Fish and the Keith Snyder of your life. Because chances are, what you think about yourself is way less than what God has planned for you. And if we don't fully grasp and come to grips with the fact that we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, we will shrink. We'll be content in our stupid little lives. 
Seriously, you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's powerful. Here's, here's the other thing that I kind of came upon this week. When I'm thinking about baptized with the Holy Spirit, I started thinking about John the Baptist. And when he was talking about he baptized with water, but Mark 1 says he came proclaiming a baptism of repentance. And if you've been around North Church very long, I've taught this before. This idea that, that John proclaimed that we are to have a baptism of repentance. That means a life lived where we're completely all the time, 100% of the time, thinking about our own sin and repenting of it and asking God to help us to turn from it, all right? This is something that I know very well and have, have done very well and I've taught a lot here in this church as repentance. The key to life is repentance. And it, and it comes from John's idea that we're baptized. We have a baptism of repentance. That's what, what John taught. And then Mark, most of Martin Luther's teaching is about this idea that all of life is repentance. And then contemporarily... Tim Keller, most of what he's teaching is this idea that we are called to be a baptism of repentance so that all of our lives continually, all the time, thinking about repentance, right? Are you connecting with some of those things that I've taught here in the past? And this is the same metaphor that John used about repentance. Jesus is now using about the Holy Spirit. It's massive. Jesus also teaches later in Luke 3.16, uh, or actually, Jesus is teaching about John's speaking here. Luke three sixteen. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm unworthy to tie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus also teaches later, uses the same idea with a different metaphor, talking about being clothed. Luke twenty four forty nine. Jesus says, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with the Spirit from on high. This word clothed is a Greek word called enduo. When we clothe with the Holy Spirit. And it's the same idea of metaphor. And it simply means clothing. What you're wearing. Attire. I'm wearing a a t-shirt and a jacket. It's my clothing. But the subtle nuance, this is a compound word. The second part of the compound word, the nuance of this word, means a fixed position of rest. So the clothing that we wear as the Holy Spirit provides for us a fixed position of rest. So the clothes that we wear, the Holy Spirit, the clothing that we wear, provide for us this fixed position. And that means... There's nothing that we need to do, that you or I need to do, to attain this position. It's fixed. It can't be taken from us, and we can't get rid of it. It's fixed. So, in our moments of shrinking from what God has called us to, in our moments of sin, in our moments of of worship, moments ago I was in the back praying and preparing for coming up here to teach, and Seven or eight of you were just completely engaged in worship. Like sold out, eyes closed, heart, like engaging the Lord. So from your shrinking to your sin to that moment, your position is unchanged. This word enduo teaches us that we're in a fixed position of rest. 
Whenever you hear rest in Scripture, most of the time it's talking about just this exhaling peace. All right? So this word, being clothed with the Spirit, means we are fixed there. We can't change it even if we wanted to. And that position provides for us rest. This You guys ever had a really busy day, like wake up at the crack of dawn and go forever and you've got a million things rattling in your brain on your checklist and you get them all done. And then you come home and like get the kids put to bed and like, this is what is being communicated. The Holy Spirit provides this fixed position of Enduo. It's like life changing. You are clothed in this sense with the Holy Spirit. Back to our, our verse in Acts 1. Go to Acts 1 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and the end in Samaria to the end of the earth. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Let's look at Holy Spirit. Holy means having to do with God the most holy thing. Um, Dave mentioned to you during our, uh, our prayer time this morning, we usually we gather back there and we pray verbally. This morning, we just kind of walked around here and prayed silently among ourselves. We're walking back and forth. And, and through this door, I was just about finished through this door, comes a man from Florissant Presbyterian who is he's getting kind of old, so he doesn't make it here very often. But I got a, a huge amount of respect. He gets like... he's forgotten more about scripture than I'll ever know. He's just a brilliant man. Walks in. Whenever he walks in, like, I want to stop what I'm doing. Like, if if ever I'm engaged with you in conversation and this dude walks in, chances are I'm going to ignore you and go talk to him. So excuse me. Pardon me. Please forgive me for that. So he walks in the door and he said to me, I just want to tell you that God is holy. I just want to tell you that God is holy. Do you remember the time when the priest was carrying the Ark of the Covenant on his shoulders and he got a little haphazard with it and he touched it in a way he wasn't supposed to touch it and God killed him. He said, God is holy. And he just turned around and walked out the door. And my little pea brain is rattling with, wait a second, I'm about to talk about the Holy Spirit. And this spiritual giant walks in and says to me, God is holy, like altogether different, and so different that if we engage with it the wrong way, we will die holy. This is God. This is holy. And the beautiful part is that's in you. Like that power that struck that man dead because he touched it the wrong way. Holy. But the second part of that is spirit. And that Greek word spirit is pneuma, which literally just means breath. This holy breath. Something I found a couple years ago. You guys ever had pneumonia before? You guys know what pneumonia is? Basically, it's like you, have, you get um, infected 
things in your lungs. You have air sacs that are supposed to deliver oxygen to your body. And when you take in a breath, these air sacs take the oxygen out of the air and take it to your body. These air sacs get infected and filled with liquids. And so that you can't breathe well. And not just you can't breathe well, but when you do breathe, what it's supposed to do doesn't get to your bloodstream like it's supposed to. That's pneumonia. Pneumonia, that P-N-E-U-M-A, that's the Greek word for spirit, for breath, this word. That like, like you can spend like 45 minutes thinking about the beauty of that. Like how the life-giving power of oxygen gets into your bloodstream. And it's not just oxygen, it's holy. If you don't touch it in the correct ways, it will kill you sort of holy spirit that is in you. Holy breath of God. Sometimes I wish a priest at a black church. Because that deserved way better response than what happened. got to hang out with a dude that would have been like jumping up and down on his chair from that this week. But seriously, the Holy Spirit is in you. And, and that's like, we're talking this month about the Holy Spirit. And when I say to you, Holy Spirit, we, pat, we gloss over that. But I want, I'm begging of you to engage the Holy Spirit. And the, like, whether you engage it or not, it's true of you. It's perfect. Let's look further here. Will receive power. Power is the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. This is the word. We will receive power when this Holy Spirit comes upon us. Power. This word is also translated elsewhere in Scripture as miracles. Let's slip that into this verse. You will receive miracles when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus, remember the time when he's walking through the crowd and somebody touches him? Because they want to be healed and they know they think that just by touching his garment, he'll they'll be healed. You know, you remember what he said there? He said, Wait, somebody touched me, my power left me. The Holy Spirit was not yet, Jesus hadn't left the Holy Spirit yet. That is in you. Would have been an appropriate time. Flip over, you're in Acts right now. Flip over to Acts chapter 4. I want to leave with this story. We're going to see Peter and John, and I want to specifically think about Peter. Probably two months ish time had happened, had, had passed since. Um, since Peter had denied Christ to a teenage girl. My daughter, by the way, turned a teenage girl today. Today, yay. She's 13, yes, right, which is really sad. 
um, so I, I'm thinking about this that this week, right? And I'm studying this and thinking about my daughter's going to be 13 on Sunday. And Peter, one of the three people that he denied Christ to, was a teenage girl. So Peter was such a wimp that he was afraid that Hannah Grace could do something to him if he confessed Christ to her. All right? Think about what you were doing two months ago. Two months ago, that happened to Peter's life. Now, this happens to Peter's life. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, Peter and John, and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, all of whom were of the high priestly family. By the way, parenthetically here, those are all the same people who two months ago said to Jesus, you will die by crucifixion. So no longer is Peter in front of a 13-year-old girl. He's in front of the man who killed Jesus Christ. I need you to know that. Verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, probably the same stinking room, the same courtyard. They inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the holy pneuma, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he doesn't just stop there. He tells them what they did to Jesus two months ago. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By this man, by, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I want to ask one simple question. What happened in Peter's life between the 13-year-old girl and the chief priests? What happened to Peter? Do you want to know what happened? The Holy Spirit happened. That's the difference in that Peter and this Peter. What are we shrinking from? What... Let me ask you another question. This is what I really, really want you to think about. 
What is God calling you to do that you're afraid to do? We just read Peter is an ordinary, unschooled man. And that's the beauty of the gospel everywhere in Scripture. The people that God chooses to use are not these brilliantly educated, perfectly equipped people. It's people like Peter, who one day was afraid to to speak to a 13-year-old girl, and the next day was not afraid of a man able to kill him. He had the Holy Spirit in him. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And not just in you, you are baptized. Completely affected in every way, in every facet of your being. By the Holy Spirit of God. Maybe God is calling you to run for city council. I could never do that. Maybe God is calling you to walk into an elementary school and say, I'm here to to serve every Tuesday. Maybe the enemy is telling you, I could never do that. Maybe God is calling you to go plant a church. I could never do that. But here's here's the fact. What you think about yourself is way shorter than what God thinks about you. New Year's Eve, I was in Indianapolis to watch a Butler basketball game. And the hotel where we stayed, we, we kind of went around the corner to, to this really cool restaurant and drove right past this place. Um, it's a Chinese restaurant. Like 10 years prior to this, I was on that very street and was there with, with some folks from First Baptist Ferguson. We were on staff there. The, the Southern Baptist Convention's national event, whatever, was there. And we were there for that, that week. And there was a guy uh, named David Clippard. Uh, who was across the street. And the pastor that I was with there, Jim Carter, knew David. And he said, hey, come over here. Let's, let's talk. And so that he was with a group. We were with a group. There was like 12 people kind of gathered on a corner. And uh, David Clippard was the like, executive director of the Missouri Baptist Convention at this point. He's like up there. Nobody more important in Missouri. And so we're kind of talking. It's been like 15 minutes or so. And... You know, when you're in a group of like 12 people or so, there's like four or five different conversations going on. This is what, this is what's happening. And David Clippard, seated about where Rocky, or standing about where Rocky is, kind of walks over, looks me right in the eye, and he said, you should think about planting a church. My because, look, there was nothing. I know who I am. I know who I am not. And I, I shrunk, I, I laughed him off. But then the, the Holy Spirit began to work. And then like two years later, I, I, somehow the Spirit gave me the courage to walk into my pastor's office and say, you've planted churches before. What does that look like? How does it, what is, God is, because I, I was good at dismissing that. But here I am as, as Fred Fischel, as Keith Snyder, as David Clipper, standing before you saying, There's more in you than you realize. And the more is the Holy Spirit. Don't shrink from something. God is calling you to something. 
And you're right. You have no business doing whatever it is that God is calling you to. But God does. And it doesn't have to be something like going and planting a church. It doesn't have to be... What, God is calling you to something that's bigger than you are. And the courage that I want to pour into you is... It took Peter two months and the Holy Spirit to go from a sissy to a bowed up man who would stay state before people who just killed Christ. It is by Christ's name that I stand before you. There is no amount of courage that you should be lacking. I'm going to get out of the way and let the Spirit work with you guys. Let's pray. God, you are beautiful, and you are strong, and you are high and above us, Father, and your plans are bigger and better than our plans. Father, I pray against the enemy in this time as you are speaking to people to call them to something. God, would you silence the enemy? Silence his voice that we may hear only yours. You have clothed us with the Holy Spirit. You have baptized us with your very breath. May we hear only that, God. And may our answer to you be simply yes. This is our identity. God, teach us that this is our identity. Father, we love you. We worship you, God. I give these moments to you now to deal with us, Father. Draw us into your presence. Speak to us by the power of Christ.